My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is the remarkable independent documentary filmmaker, Matthias Olsen. Matthias is the founder and creator of Campfire Stories, which is a platform for films that dig at the roots of what we need to change in order to reimagine a world of ecological balance and human sanity. The platform, Campfire Stories, is remarkable in that he ascribes to something called the gift economy, which perhaps was most clearly articulated in Charles Eisenstein's recent book, Sacred Economics, and which essentially sits with the understanding that, that the beauty that any one of us can bring into the world is infinitely valuable. How could we even put a number on it? And at the same time, maybe infinitely unaccessible, if, given that we live in an economy that runs on money and some people have more money than others. So he simply decided to make these films and offer them at whatever donation or price point the person watching the film could afford. Four years ago, he went full time under this, this approach, which is a remarkably radical and by radical, I mean it in its original sense, back to the roots. Radical is to be at the root. A remarkably radical way of thinking about the way in which we as people ex- connect with and exchange meaning with each other through cha- trading, through sharing, through offering, through gift. And his films are truly a gift. He's in person, as you hear, a funny, somewhat self-deprecating person. But I encounter his paths as kind of a, or his films as kind of paths through a future that may or may not come to be, but that has a more of a possibility of coming to be because Matthias and the people that he he documents in his films are standing far outside a lot of the cultural norms that many of us assume to be reality, period, and show us that we could, in fact, if we chose it right here, right now, we could, in fact, be in a world that follows nature's natural order of abundance, of enoughness. We could revitalize the degraded soil. We could revitalize our bodies, which have been malnourished and toxified. And we could start to build communities where we see each other not as mm, players in a transaction out of which we get some 
good or service, but rather full human beings with gifts and ideas and beliefs, some of which will add measurable value, value to our lives, but in many cases will add immeasurable, infinitely valuable essence to our lives. So this is a really joyful conversation because I, I didn't know Matthias until we talked here. I knew only the films he made. And this is a wonderful look into how an artist and creator reckons with and engages with the questions that move him and also points towards what's possible when we step into something that calls to us, even when parts of us are terrified of leaving behind the story we've been sold and raised on and grown up in. So if you want to check out more of his films, you should absolutely watch, watch them. He's got something like 17 or 18 films and more to come. It's at campfire-stories.org. You can pay whatever you want to watch these films from zero to infinity. And if you're anything like me, you'll get pulled into possible futures that will leave you nourished and inspired in the same way that talking to Matthias today nourished and inspired me. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Matthias has for us. All right. Matthias, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you so much. Yeah, really cool to have you here. You know, this is uh, one of the fun moments in, in my journey of building this show where I'm starting to reach out to people who I've never met before, kind of in, in person or even on Zoom, but who are doing work in the world that's really touched and inspired me. And uh, your documentaries through Campfire Stories, when I found my way into them, I just really felt like, wow, here's a human being who is using their craft and service of a vision for something beautiful in the world. So. Thanks thank for your you. work and thanks for saying yes to the invitation to be here. Yeah. And thank you for, for saying such kind things about my work. Sometimes it feels like, especially with the COVID where I haven't had the chance to have many public screenings. Uh, so mm -hmm. sometimes it feels like you're just putting stuff out into the world and it's nice to get noticed and get a little word of like this arrived and, mm. and uh, this inspired me. So mm. yeah. Mm. Thank you for saying that. I'm yeah. so happy that yeah. it made it all the way to where are you? Boston area. Yeah. Just outside Boston. That's right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. And remind <laughs> me again, where in the world you are generally, we don't worry. We won't, we won't give anyone your address or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want the GPS coordinates? Yeah, if you could just uh, longitude, latitude, that'd be great. <laughs> well, um, Sweden, um, I'm in this small town called Jarna, which is uh, near the capital of Stockholm. It's about mm. a half hour drive, 40 minute drive south from the capital. We were nice. actually li living in the capital, uh, and then one day we woke up in the morning and realized that we wanted to be more country folk and purchased a piece of land and moved. So we wanted real countryside, and um, uh, as you drive out of Stockholm, it becomes less and less city and more and more country, and then after about half an hour, it's like the real deal with barns oh, that's, and that's cows. That's lovely. And, yeah. So that's, yeah. That's where we are. Yeah, we've made a, a we we've recently made a similar similar kind of outward journey. We're also about 45, 50 minutes away from Boston. And mm. it's far enough away to feel like we're far away, but actually not so far away that that uh it's like, oh, 
okay, this is, you know, we're not like in the deep hinterlands, but we can kind of pretend that we are. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you naming that. Maybe we could even start with just this complexity as an artist, right? Like there, the, there's a way in which as a lover of the arts and as sort of a, an amateur artist myself, and I really use amateur in the kind of fullest sense of the word, it sometimes can be used in kind of a, a derogatory way towards people who aren't professional, but like as an amateur artist, I have a, a deep respect for the creative process and I'm really inf- sort of just infinitely curious about it. But I also honor that there is this kind of a, there's the big community aspect, sharing it with others and, and getting reactions, but there's also this kind of a, a lonely aspect of sort of being in the editing room or, or, you know, working on the song lyrics or, or working on the chapter or the poem and then sort of sending it out into the world and not really knowing how it lands with people or if it lands with people. And, right. and, uh, and I just, yeah, appreciate you reminding that, especially in this, this current global moment where many of us are, are fairly isolated that might be hard for you as a filmmaker to connect to the audience that you you're trying to reach. I'm doing a, um, on, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing the first like big public screening here in my hometown um of wow. two of the latest releases from campfire stories and uh, getting a, a a band to play between films and uh so it'll be you know 200 people a movie theater uh popcorn like real live interaction so that'll oh be a nice gosh. shift yeah <laughs> it'll be like the old days wow boy i wish i could get out get out for that that sounds really special mm. Is that is that uh, your film Into the Soil that you put out recently? Is that one of the films you're gonna? Yeah, uh, it'll be. I've made two films that are sort of twins in a way. Um, uh, one is Into the Soil, like you mentioned, and the other one is called Fertility Awareness Sex mm. Ed 2.0. Ooh, I haven't yeah. I haven't checked that one out yet. So tell us more about these two. Um, yeah, so one, I mean, they're both about fertility fertility of the soil in the latter case and fertility of the body in the in the first case um, mm. so yeah it's sort of the same thing um, i mean we think of our bodies maybe i shouldn't say we but I, i've been i've inherited this view of the body as something that you can coerce into doing whatever you think mm. it should be doing um mm. with, with medication or um in different ways and that's kind of what we're doing to the earth clear cutting fracking like whatever we feel like doing Mm. in order to get oil or to get um lumber or whatever it is that we want to get from the earth i'm struck by the way by what a like volt like fracking like it has this like borders on the edge of like we're like we're fracking the earth. We're fucking the earth, right? Like there's this real <laughs> yeah. like intensity to that word that we just kind of let roll off the tongue without giving it much thought. Now you're going to have to put explicit on this podcast. Yeah. Now you're doomed. Well, I, I, I yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I wanted to make sure you knew, cause I know you love to curse Matias. So I wanted to give I, you that. All the time, but I'll try to restrain. I'll, I'll let you do the cursing. Okay, and I'll just great. stick with words like fracking. <laughs> <laughs> if I say that a lot, you know, that I'm building up with some anger or something. <laughs> Let's yeah, get on so with these fracking questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. So yeah, like there's this sense of like, we can do whatever we want to the earth and we see ourselves doing that and the impacts it's having. 
yeah so in the in the case of the film fertility awareness um it's a film about a woman named disa who is a um what's that title again um reproductive think of what that is holistic holistic reproductive health practitioner that's her title uh, mm. so there's a whole school of i think it's called the justice method or justice method i'm not quite sure how to pronounce it um so there's a whole school of thought around um uh, viewing the body uh not as some other that we can do you know med- like medicate away our ability to be fertile for example as is the case mm. with uh, birth control pills mm. um but yeah the film uh, i won't talk too much about it disa is the expert anybody who's curious about this uh, can check it out um my uh expertise on the topic is basically that i'm not an expert and that i'm uh, very hesitant when it comes to talking about sex and i i find it like embarrassing um and that's part of the reason i wanted to make the film was mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. train myself in also mm-hmm. i have kids that are uh, twin boys that are teenagers and a, a girl who's nine she's going to be a teenager soon wow. and i mm. want to be able to talk to them about about sex and about the body and about uh, how the body works and and help them make informed choices and uh, i sort of carry this um stigma or whatever maybe stigma is a heavy word but like i wasn't told many things about sex when i was yeah. a kid you know you have to yeah, figure it out same. and yeah same. So I want to try to, I mean, my wife is much better at doing that. It comes more naturally for her to talk to them, but I don't want to just fall into that role that's been kind of assigned to me Mm -hmm. that, you know, I sort of drift off when it comes time to talk about those things. I want to, you know, educate (laughs) myself. And maybe like glower in the corner when your teenage (laughs) child's, you know, love interest comes over. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, no, no. But that's not good. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to to better myself. So, but, but that this... was part of the reason why I wanted to make the film was to mm. inform mm. myself. And also, Disa is just this. I I know her a little bit from before, and I just some people you just at least I feel like wow. It's one point I'd love to make a film about this person or about what this person is doing. And so she had been on my list for a long time. And then suddenly we found some space in our calendars and we got together mm. and we created the film. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm. I can't And then I knew that I was working on that other film with into the soil and about the, the fertility of the earth and composting and regenerative ag- agriculture. And it was so striking to me that it was basically the same topic, but at the same time, very different, but did you come into the, that, uh, were you struck by that awareness once you started working with Disa and saw the parallels or were you kind of already tuned into that a bit? And, and that's what, in part, what drew you to Disa, like how, when did that parallel between the human body and human fertility and, and the earth's body and earth's fertility kind of really strike you? Uh, it started, then we have to go back to another film that I made a few years prior. Um, which so that turns into a bigger story but hey that's what we're here for i think yes, yes indeed yes indeed um, so when i had a, just <laughs> tale from the woods is that the no this one is called um on biodynamic farming Ooh, i haven't seen that one either boy and, yeah <laughs> I, that more. I like have all the ones i watch that i don't want to be like you're actually here the other ones that you haven't watched <laughs> i think there's about seven 16 17 films on the site yeah. right now, so yeah yeah 
But yeah, when I had just moved to this um, place in the countryside, and we we bought some land and we built a house, um, and so this community is known um, around Sweden as being sort of alternative. There's a lot of Waldorf schools here. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, a lot of um, anthroposophical inspirations here. Um, uh, and and biodynamic. I don't know if you know about. Can you anth- can you can we pause on anthro? philosophical yeah Yeah. did i (laughs) say that right i think so um so it's (laughs) i'm not an expert but um i think it comes from um a a, a man named rudolf steiner who in the who in the 20s came up with a bunch of um ideas about farming and about Mm. dancing movement Mm. the soul Mm -hmm education all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, he was a bit of a, I know Rudolph a bit, a bit of like kind of a scientist mystic kind of bringing together different different domains. At least that's yeah. how I understand him. Yeah, I better not go in explaining too much because some people who listen might really know what he's about. Yeah, they, yeah, they would I, want to I won't me. either. That's about the events. <laughs> well, maybe we would just say that he's someone we might look at more closely another time, but yeah, he has some yeah. ideas about farming, it sounds like. Yeah, and, and like school... So there's now in Sweden, or I think all around the world, there's uh, Waldorf schools that mm-hmm. are based on the ideas of Rudolf Steiner. And um, so our kids go to Waldorf schools and it's, I mean, it has to adhere to the guidelines of the school board, whatever, like you have to learn this, the same stuff, but uh, you learn it slightly in a different way uh, that is more connected with nature and more connected with your hands rather than your mind. So it's more of a balance mm. between um, uh like craftsmanship and going out in the nature. And so my daughter, for example, she's in third grade now when she was in like first grade and second grade and they were learning um, math, for example, they would do that while they were out in nature mm. and finding mm. sticks and twigs and, and, and mm. stuff like that and adding them up and subtracting. And then suddenly they would sing something while out walking in English. So that would be like the, so it's like meshing together the subjects a little bit. Yeah. Um, As to not compartmentalize the brain at an too early age. But yeah, there's a lot more that goes into that. But getting back to why I made a film called On Biodynamic Farming, um, it was because a lot of people, when I had said that I moved to this place called Yana, they sort of laughed and made made, uh, fun of me a little bit. Not made fun, but they were like, um, in particular, one guy, I went to this film festival and there was one um like industry film industry person that i started talking to i mean we we're friends a little bit from before and i told him i'd moved here and he was going off about biodynamic farming and saying that it's uh, some unscientific craziness going on and they're oh, burying wow. yeah burying cows heads at full moon and dancing and he was going <laughs> off about this stuff but i was like intrigued i thought that sounds really really this sounds like, amazing. I love bearing cows. Let's, <laughs> I want to get this. into that drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so upset about, and I couldn't really understand oh, what, like, why he was upset. And so I wanted to find out because I had heard of biodynamic farming, but I thought it was just like uh, organic, basically the same as organic. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I hear biodynamic, I don't think so much cow's heads. I just think like, <laughs> okay, like they're using some, some sort of healthier practices to farm that's about the extent of my knowledge there too. yeah well yeah it, it's a lot more mystical than that and 
So in that film, I wanted to find out what is biodynamic farming mm. and more importantly, what is it about it that can make some people really angry and upset? Yeah. And so I found um, a f- only a few kilometers from my house lived the chairperson of the Biodynamic Association in Sweden. And I asked if I could come and, and interview him and talk to him about what is biodynamic farming. And he said, yes. And um, we, I went over there with my gear and we sat down, I actually made a little campfire. So it was really appropriate for the platform. Nice, nice, nice. And um, I asked him and he went into it. And his partner is Disa, who is the main character ah. of the film, um, uh, a f- fertility awareness film. And so they were talking about, she was in, she's actually in that first film a little bit too. Because she was making comparisons between um, like regenerative farming ideas and uh, and soil health mm. and body health, so mm. she was ma- she was making mm. that connection then. So that's mm. <laughs> so I didn't make the connection; she did, and then I was like, "Hmm, this sounds really interesting." Yeah, um, fertility awareness. Let's let's let me write this down, and hopefully we can um, get together and, and create something around this. And yeah. and so we did, like about a year year and a half later. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm struck. I, I don't know if this is true for all of your films, but I'm getting this sense that, you know, with the bio on biodynamic farming, is that what that first one's called that you mentioned? And then for yep. fertility awareness, there's this kind of, I'm hearing you describe this pattern of like, here's a thing I don't know a lot about yep. that I would like to know more about and maybe even be able to share with others in a meaningful way. Like my kids, I just want to be able to talk to my kids about sex and sexuality yeah. So I'm going to go make a, a like a powerful documentary with someone who like <laughs> hyper identifies with that and yeah, yeah. and really learn. Is that is that kind of one of your is that is that pattern common for a lot of the films that you make? Uh, I think so in the sense that um I think as filmmakers we're often told that we should do our research beforehand really well and really know our topic and know what we're talking about if we're going to tell a story about that topic. And I respect that. But I, I sort of don't, I, I sort of go about things the opposite way, where, as, I, as you say, I'm inspired by something and I, I don't know anything or not much about it. And I use that as the entry point into the film, which to me makes it more interesting because I don't know where I'm going to end up. I haven't already decided before starting, uh, you know, the day one of the shoot um, where I'm going to end up. So it's a method, I guess, where Mm. I use more of a, yeah, I can, or maybe I'm just lazy and don't want to do the research, but I don't think so. I think it has to do with like the magic of making a film. Your films do not come across as lazy for what that's worth. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some magic to that approach where you don't know where you're going to end up. And if I would write a script um, and make a film, I think it would be a terrible film because I don't think my head, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I have that type of intelligence that can come up with a great story and, and say like, what are the people going to, what are their lines and what's, what are we going to mm. end up with? But I have a different sort of intelligence that's maybe placed somewhere in the gut or like instinct or something else where I can follow a thread and, and let people who know about stuff explain it to me. So mm. I, I do think that's part of how mm. I do things often. Do you have a felt sense of, of how that instinct like pings you? Like, is there, is there kind of a bodily feeling or just like the, this kind of spark of curiosity? Like, how do you, 
filter for something that's really interesting enough for you to get all your gear and drive over to the place and start recording without knowing quite where you're going to end up. Uh, like, tell me more about that, that, that moment of spark or instincts. Um, I guess that's, you know, that is asking what, what is inspiration and where does it come from? And, um, I don't know what inspiration is or where it comes from, but I know I recognize it when it arrives as a yeah. thought or an idea, or um, I don't know that I, it has a, a sound. I think it's that, it's that recognition I'm, I'm really curious about. Cause, uh, and maybe I'll just kind of, I, and as I kind of step into this question, what I'm aware of is uh, the way in which for myself, there are, there are some ideas that, that, um, are exciting briefly. And then they kind of lose that excitement quickly. There are other ideas that maybe could be exciting, but I'm too, I've made myself too busy to notice and they, and they pass by. Mm. And then there are just some ideas that I can't not do. Like I just, they keep coming back to you, keep coming back. And, and I'm curious if that's true for you. And if there are like, I'm just curious how you, like, what is it the moment or the kind of process where you kind of commit versus well, like, Hey, I could do, I could do a film about this and a film about that. And you don't ever actually make any films like, Oh, I really want to learn about f- like fertility awareness. And I'm going to talk <laughs> to Disa about that. And I don't know where we're going to end up, but I'm going to lug all my gear and and make this and see what happens. You know, it just seems like a really big commitment. Well, I think you described it the way you described it fits for me too. Like these different ideas that come about. And sometimes I think of them as, children that Mm. uh, sort of yell for your attention or say something or come up to you and and so if you have 10 kids in a room and they're in different levels of intensity and like there's that one kid that's just dragging your (laughs) your your clothing and screaming keeps coming back doesn't give up so that's going to be in first in line I know that's not fair to the other kids and maybe the, <laughs> maybe the metaphor of kids doesn't really work so well, but um, that that's how I think of it sometimes that it's um, mm. The, mm. the one that screams the loudest and keeps coming back. Then mm. I have to like put everything else mm. to the side and do that first. Mm. And yeah, I, I constantly have anywhere between two and 10 of those ideas that are different ways yeah so i make little notes and put them to the side and then it's it's always interesting also when you have a great idea and you write a little on a scrap of paper or something about it and then some of them you look at it a week later and you're like what was i thinking (laughs) but you're glad that there is a little bit of a threshold before you go yeah yeah there's sort of like then you look at them and uh, the the ones that aren't actually that exciting or interesting but then there is one you're like oh yeah. I wrote down 10 and there's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then maybe you get 10 ideas around that and it just sort of keeps unfolding. Yeah. Well, so uh, to the extent you're comfortable sharing, what's, uh, which children are screaming at you right now? What are, what <laughs> ideas are kind of potentially calling you now that you've, you've completed this kind of these twin films around soil fertility and, and body fertility? Do you have a sense of what's next or do you want to kind of keep that under wraps until you've made the commitment? No, I can get into that a little bit. Um, I, I've had this idea that I would um, travel around Sweden, visiting with different people who make a difference in one way or another, and who mm. can inspire others to do um, 
great things because I think we need really good ideas right now. We as a society, as the the little people, so to speak, of the, of a society, um, are often or not. I mean, it's part of our culture that we're sort of told that we cannot really make a difference. And, you know, you're just one little person out of 7 billion or however many we are now. And um, like you need a huge platform to make a difference. And, but I've been challenging that, that notion in my mind lately, um, toying with the idea of like, what if my actions actually do do make a difference? Mm. Mm. And like, like I, I, there's no way for me to know what something I do or say today will will do with the world over time. Like when we add time to the to the idea of change, then we don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, or yeah. something that I do or say to my uh, daughter today, I don't know how that's going to affect her as an adult, but it probably will affect her. Mm. So I wanted to, or I had this vision that I would travel around to Sweden and um, meet with all these different change makers. And, but I didn't really know in what context or, or how um, I would do that until I was contacted by, do you know what the transition network is? Do you have that in the United States? If we do, I'm not aware of it at the moment. So tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. So it's um, something that I think came about probably about 10 or 15 years ago in um, Totnes in the United Kingdom, a small, mm-hmm. um, small town. Um, and there was a man named Rob Hopkins who, who started it there. And um, uh, so he, he, they started doing things as a community, um, like planting trees and um, like started co-funding beautiful projects in their community and um, had these like sort of neighborhood get-togethers where um, like that with the idea of like getting to know your neighbor and, and feeling like ownership of your street and, and, mm. uh, and knowing mm. everybody in your area and uh, like local currency, like all of these different things. Um, and so this concept has spread now to, I don't know how many countries, I think it's pretty well all over the world. Wow. Um, and it's called the transition network. And so we have one in Sweden and I'm, I'm part of it. Um, nice. And they contacted me and said, uh, we've seen some of your films and we'd like to, to collaborate somehow. And so we sat down, uh, much like you and I are sitting down now, and just talked about how would that be able to look. And so their ideas and the, the vision that I'd had of me traveling around Sweden, meeting all these different change makers, they sort of matched together beautifully. Mm. Uh, mm. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm shooting that through you're, the next you're in that right now you've started I'm in it. i started uh i've met with the first four people and i've made a little intro it's on the youtube channel you can, nice. you can link to it oh. somewhere in your yeah we will we'll link to it notes. does it have a, a name yet um so it's called journey into transition mm. that's the english mm. title mm. Yeah. Mm. and the people you're talking to are people who are in these transition communities and within them doing doing work related to this journey is that right or um yes so i mean i've only met four people so far uh, we have a, an idea bank and it keeps growing and so i don't <laughs> I can't say right now again yeah. it's the entry point and then i don't know yeah. what's going to take me so that's yeah. the, the, the magic of it yeah um but the people that i've met with so far are so one person i'm editing that uh, piece right now actually um he talks about the, the importance of acting in community 
because the entry point into the film is sort of this individualized idea that your actions can make a difference. Mm. And that sounds a little bit too much like if you just recycle your garbage and <laughs> if you just eat vegan diets, like right. you can change the world. That's yeah. not where I'm wanting yeah. to go. Yeah, we um, could do a whole even sidebar though, conversation about how like the whole process of putting recycling back on on the consumer is a bit of a like a bit of a scam in its own right. But but yes, I don't yeah. want to take us there. I just want to name that like there's a yeah there's a sort of trap of like it's all on you, the individual. And yeah. so I hear yeah. you kind of playing with that. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's the it's the corporations and the nation states that are um, you know in charge of uh, mining the commons for short sighted profit and all of that. <sighs> yeah. But um, but yeah. So I I wanted to early on in this process. Um, uh, get into uh, the idea of community and and acting as this guy Andy Frank that I interviewed. He talks about the uh, people being like cells in a body, and there's not one cell that's more awesome than the other. Like we we need all the you mm. know, heart cells and lung cells, and mm. the, like we need mm. everything to work to, uh, together. Yeah. Um, and so he's organized all these different uh, markets where people can uh, recirculate. Like it's. Um, like flea market stuff where they can recirculate stuff, basically not having to buy new stuff and uh, like home cooking. And, but basically the importance is getting together and recognizing that you're part of um, this area and that, uh, you know, just listening to music and, and being together. And he talks about that quite eloquently, much better than I do um, about the importance of community. So, so that's, that's Sounds one of gorgeous. the people, and yeah, there's probably I shouldn't go into each one. It'll take, <laughs> it'll be long, <laughs> long podcast. <laughs> but so they, yeah, they sound incredible. This is I'm really excited to hear more. Mm. And so, Matthias, I'm I'm sort of sitting with a question that I had emailed you in advance, and I'm like, it feels really, really evocative for me right now. This sort of sense that you are. And by the way, I counter you as really humble. You're like, you know, this person says it more eloquently than me. And I don't know about this. You know, Disu knows about this. I, but there's this sort of sense in, in which uh, I'm experiencing you as this really deeply curious human who also has a, what, at least for me, it, I experience as a pretty advanced craft, this craft of making uh, film experiences that are uh, uh, both emotionally stirring and educational and sort of inspiring about new possibilities. And, uh, and I, like, I have a set, I know from an offline conversation that this wasn't always the path you were on as a filmmaker, that you've kind of uh, gone through a shift and maybe we'll talk more about that shift in a bit, but like we're in this space of you, you're following these threads and and you're meeting these really remarkable people. And I'm just curious how, what sense you have of how that's impacted you or changed you or evolved your relationship to yourself or to the planet or, or to your family. Like what are these films doing for you as best as you're able to articulate it beyond helping you talk, you know, maybe talk to your kids about sex, which is really cool. And yeah, yeah. But what else, what else is happening for you as you engage in this journey? Well, maybe they're reinforcing something that like I felt even as a child that there's some there was something wrong with the world um, mm. but as a child obviously I couldn't put my finger on it uh couldn't couldn't put words to it um and then later in life I started uh through reading books and um uh, 
through other experience. Maybe we'll get to those experiences later. But um, yeah, I've started to realize that the world, that there is something, that there has been something wrong with the way we've been mm. living. And there's something wrong, you know, in our culture that has led us to the brink of basically extinction. Um, mm. And, but entering into this new knowledge, which maybe it's not even knowledge, it's it's more of a, a path towards something that's you're not 100% sure of. Um, sometimes you can feel like, you know, like you're not held by the society, like the society around Mm. you tells you basically to get a haircut and get a job and (laughs) just pay your taxes, you know? And so if you quit that and make films about ecology, uh, on a gift economy platform, um, you can get the sense sometimes that you're, you know, being a hippie or just being, you know, like in a mm. negative way. Mm. Um, yeah, there's ways to set this. Is, there are ways in which society can kind of uh, be derogatory about about that or diminish that or even, I guess, get angry about it. Like, yeah, yeah. well, you burying cow's heads uh, yeah. every time you make <laughs> a film, Matthias, you know, like. Yeah, for the record, I always... No, I don't. Um, <laughs> Start of any great film. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so what, what are these films doing for me? I, I think they're allowing me to keep on that path mm. Um, mm. by, I mean, b- by the fact that I'm, I, I started doing this full time about four years ago. Um, and before then I was, you know, also making films, but also like in the more like film industry and also uh, doing like whatever gigs to, to mm. make ends meet kind of stuff. But mm. then from four years ago, I'm, I was like, no, I mean, life is too short. When, mm. if not now, am I going to, mm. I mean, I'm, I was then 44 maybe. So, you know, you're entering into the golden productivity of, you know, your days where you mm. have mm. experience and maybe people might listen to you and, and for how many years, we don't know how long we're going to be here. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But even if I get to be here until 100, um, there's only so many years of like productivity where I can have the energy to work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week on these things that I love doing. And so I decided to to just say, screw it. And I'm going to be just doing this. Campfire Stories is what I'm going to be doing. And Oh, that's awesome. And get and yeah, and meeting all these people, interviewing people like Charles Eisenstein, Stephen Jenkinson, um, meeting people who know about um, just so many people reinforcing that I'm okay to be on this path that I'm on, which I don't even know where it's going to lead me. I just basically know that looking back, you know, at the fog and mist of, uh, you know, what I've left behind, that's not an option. Like there's no... Mm. you know mm. i don't want to be going back mm. there so, mm. so it it makes me feel okay being lost because yeah there's no wow. there's not really a map for uh, you when know you have yeah that's this, so that's really trip. beautiful it makes mm. you okay with being lost yeah you there's this sense i have you talked about like there's a path kind of emerging but no one really knows where the path's going to go or if it's going to get anywhere right like yeah. there is this real we're in this moment, many of us are aware on some level of kind of the existential crisis that we as a species are facing and the impact that's having for many other species on the planet. And maybe even 
the biosphere itself. I mean, not maybe, but like definitely the biosphere itself and different mm. levels. Mm. And there's a part of me that's sort of like, well, the planet on a kind of cosmic scale will be a planet even if we go all the way to destruction. And that feels like a really terribly tragic way to expend the life energy that, that our species kind of has in us. And mm. you are starting to kind of film your way into some emergent path that you're a bit lost, but you're okay with it. Cause it, you're like, no, not back there. I don't know quite what it's ahead, but it's something with ecology. It's something with fertility. Mm. It's something, it's something with spirituality and, and, and compassion and connection and, And there's this word regenerative, which I love, which mm. the word itself, the poetry of the word itself, I don't love, but the, the meaning of it, mm. that we leave something more alive mm. for the next generation mm. or for the next season or whatever it is. Mm. Mm. So, mm. so everybody's talking about sustainability, but uh, I think we should talk, be talking about regen being, you know, like developing a new myth for our society that uh, has, you know, regenerative uh, ways about it. And I you think know, I actually haven't heard anyone's define regenerative quite so perfectly to leave something more alive hmm. in the way that a, a, a forest leaves itself more alive, planting new trees and composting like the mushrooms, composting the dead trees to allow yeah. even more trees to grow in that spot. Like, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, it's na it's nature's way of mm. abundance and regenerativeness. And uh, mm. we've strayed from that. And if we can get back to that before it's too late, then yeah, I wouldn't be part of, even if what I do does nothing, even if what I do, just has the intention of doing that, then that's what I want to be doing. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, in a way I'm struck then that, that, you know, if you, you said you have 16 or 17 films, is that right? Like your whole filmography, something you know, like that. I, I'll count them and give you an exact, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> we, I think there's I think, 17. Yeah. We can pull up your film library and, and, and yeah. figure that out. But like you've hours of, of, Like there's almost this cartography work that you've been doing this sort of like you're out in the lost and you're okay with it. But, but for someone who hears this conversation and then goes, watches one of your films and then another, and then another, there is this sort of path making that, that you've done. And, uh, I want to honor that even if, you know, the, the, on the larger scale, we still end up kind of in the place that neither that we don't want to, which is that we mm. don't make it like there's still in this moment, you're creating paths for people to see that there might be a, a possibility of something different. And I just really want to honor that. And it's quite beautiful, man. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. You make me feel really good. <laughs> the way you <laughs> summarize, usually I'm in the editing room, like, Oh, that sequence sucks. And <laughs> Yeah, I'll go make some more coffee. <laughs> I'll go on Facebook and drug myself a bit. <laughs> But this is a nice little boosting um, environment. Yeah, keep keep the questions flowing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Even better, just tell me how great I am. No, I really honor <laughs> yeah. that, actually. And this gets back to what we Thank you. right where we started, which is the sort of complexity of being a creator, being someone who has some kind of vision or some kind of idea child screaming at them 
Mm, and has to like, and you're a parent and as a parent, I can relate like, you know, having a child screaming at you is not always pleasant. And there's, and there's pressure to like, do it right. Even though you have no idea if you're doing it right. And, and Mm. that's sort of, like you said earlier, like something I say to my daughter, I don't know how it's going to impact her, but it could. And that not knowing it it could be negative. It could be, you know, like (laughs) all of this unknown and can be quite emotionally demanding to, embrace the unknown and then try and make something meaningful in Mm. it. And so I really want to like honor too that, uh, just how you're, how you're sharing your humanity and artistry in this moment of saying like, yeah, like the, some of this is sitting at your computer, like editing shots and being like, you have to be critical of what you did and choose what's you're going to leave on, leave on the table and what you're going to take off. And that's not always like, inspiring work but the end result just as a data point of one here as someone who's watched some of your films is mm. is quite beautiful so yeah i think like just want to maybe take off my podcaster hat and <laughs> and and just be like yeah i'm a person who can't come to Irna and see the in-person event and so the only way i can find your work is through these little little channels and networks and and i really and it's found its way and it's touched mm. me thank you that means a lot thank you so mm. much for saying that yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Matthias. So I want to, I think, let me just check the time actually. Um, okay. We're in pretty good shape. We've got about like 15 ish minutes left. Um, I think I want to go back if you're right to, to this kind of emergent sense you had, even as a child, that something was wrong with the world. Mm. And you've now kind of sort of stated pretty clearly what you see is wrong with the world, which is this kind of like consumptive extractive, Mm. Uh, leaving stuff less alive than we found it kind of energy of our current society. But, but, but there's this journey in the middle where, where you have this instinct and, and stuff starts to kind of crack open and maybe we can explore that. Cause I think a lot of folks who listen to this show are in various stages of that journey of, of from, ranging from curiosity to despair and right. everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, as, as a child, you don't have the, um the tools to be able to um to put into words your feelings always um so if you feel like i felt something was wrong in the world but it it didn't come out in those words like something feels wrong in the world it was more like a you know you feel it in the stomach like it doesn't seem right mm. um and if i would have had the words for it maybe they would have sounded something like this why is it that in the fairy tales and stories that I hear, there's always magic forests and there's always real nature and there's always people um, and animals coexisting. But when I look out the window, there's just a tree plantation that's mm. supposed to be a for- the, the forest where we play. Mm. Um, and I mean, there, yeah, there are squirrels and there are uh, some pigeons, but like, where's all the... Like it doesn't relate to the mm. imagery that I get through the Disney or whatever fairy tales that that I read or see. Um, that might have been one part of it. Another part might have been how come I'm so disconnected from food that I don't know what food is. Basically, mm. everything that I eat comes from the supermarket where it comes, you know, wrapped in plastic. And I mean, I I don't know what you know yeah, what, what an egg this? i don't know what an egg is <laughs> i don't know what meat is i don't know what 
vegetables are. I don't know. Like it's all, it all comes from the store and there's no connection between me and the food that I mm. eat. So mm. that could have been one thing. Another strong thing might've been like, where's the community? Where's my tribe? I'm in this nuclear family. And I should put in parentheses here that I, I had a really great loving upbringing. So there's, mm. it's not, um, yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones with two parents that are were awesome and, and loved me and gave me a lot of love and two brothers and um but but even so, like I'm in this nuclear family, we're in this house and we're minding our own business. Hmm. And where is the rest of the village and the rest of the community and where are the elders? Mm. How come, you know, grandma and grandpa are some people that I go and visit in the el- elderly people's home? How come they're elderly, not elders? Uh, where's mm. the wisdom? Like, mm. I imagine some culture, the, the, it might be that your elders are among you. Maybe they built the house that you're now living in, that you're now caring for, and, you know, so that you can hand it to your children so that they can care for it for, the, for their children. That kind of lineage. Um, and just co, co-being with your, with, you know, intergenerationally. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot more, and yeah, obviously a, a child of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve are not going to be able to, to say it the way I said it now. But if I look back now and think, what was it about growing yeah. up that made me feel like something was wrong in the world? Yeah. It could have been that. It could have been, how come I'm being graded on how well I do in school? And how come <laughs> me and all of the people in my class are being taught the same thing at the same pace, even though we're, you know, yeah. 30 individuals? Yeah. So there's a lot... Um, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But if you just, if you don't get any response to that, when you try to put that out there, maybe you have a tantrum or I don't know how it comes out exactly. Um, if you don't get, if, if the response that you get is, you know, go to your place and sit and, you know, you'll get detention if you carry on like this and so forth. Uh, after a while you get broken and you think that this isn't the normal, this is the way things are. Mm. This is normalcy. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. you know get good grades get into the college that you want get a good job maybe if you're lucky find mm. a wife have some kids mm. boom mm. so mm. yeah I, I I felt all of those things at an early age and then I brushed them aside and got with the program and and pursued a mm. career and, and and which led me to New York I was living there for 13 years working as a, a, photog- a photo assistant at first and then a photographer and then got into filmmaking and uh, yeah, I won't get into the full life story, but um, but yeah, I, there was a big portion between say sixteen, seventeen, and like forty-two, maybe, where um, wow. I was a good little boy, mm. part of society, mm. and, and doing mm. you know, working, paying my taxes, and I didn't and, realize that's um, okay. So <clears throat> I want to actually, we don't, we, we can't cover seventeen to forty-two in year by year chronological order, but I want to, I want to touch into that in a moment. And also just name the kind of the, so there's so many layers of tragedy to the, the, the feelings that you're having as a kid and, yeah, and, and the way I you're was, able to like name them as an adult now, but just like, yeah. just all these little tragedies of life that we just all accept. And that this is coming from, you know, one of the most privileged people yes. ever. Yeah. So like, the, and there imagine, are other people who are looking and saying, Oh, if only it would, we could just have that. We, if we all, you know, and it's like, if we only could have the nuclear family, I mean, yeah, there's a lot yeah, of people that, you yeah. know, single parent. Uh, yeah. Let's not get into 
everybody's uh, upbringing, but I'm sure a lot of them have had it a lot worse than me. But but yeah, yeah I guess this is a, a more like mythological view on on yeah, the and, way and of the sort world. Of the, the sort of macro tragedy is that even the quote unquote most privileged, right? Yeah. The quote unquote uh, best life that the story mm. of our society has to offer is still a story where a young kid feels isolated and alone and knows something is wrong, but can't even say it. And when tries to ask about it or learn about it gets put in their place. Like mm. it's really sad. It's really sad. <laughs> and, and, and like, I'm just sort of touched by the kind of heartbreak of at some point, 16, 15, 16, 17 year old Matias says like, okay, like I'm just going to get with a program and, and put mm. my head down and pay my taxes and, and get a job and make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you do that for a couple of decades, yeah. but there's this, this something's cooking, something, something that has had taken root when you're young is with you. And at some point, like what happened for you to finally be like, fuck this <laughs> like, <laughs> I need there's something has to shift how did that how did that happen well, for you the the i mean many many little things but uh one dramatic thing was that uh, i was a witness to the 9-11 attacks um, i had just come back from sweden to i was living in brooklyn new york at the time mm. um, and i had just flown from sweden to new york on the 9th um, <sighs> and i was up so with the time, I'm not a, like a morning person, but with the time change, I was uh, up early and watching the news or had the news on in the background. Uh, I was making breakfast and then there was, they, it was CNN and they said, oh, we have, um, un, what's that called? Un, anyway, Unauthorized un, flight path or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. What's the word? I can't remember the word. Uh, but um I won't get too hung up on the word, yeah. but like we have the, this, um, th they were basically pointing cameras at the twin towers and saying that we think a sports plane has crashed into one of the towers. We're not sure, oh. uh, something has happened and we're trying to find out more and bloody bloody. And so I went up to my roof because from my rooftop, I had a pretty good view of the twin towers. And as I was standing there and I was looking, thinking because they said on the news that it's a sports plane, a small Cessna or something unconfirmed reports that was the, unconfirmed the, reports. the, the mm. un word i was looking for mm. Mm. um and i was standing there and other people from the building came up and we were talking it's like it doesn't look like a small plane it looks like something major and then the second plane hit as we were standing there um so that not that event in itself but the way the way that society in or in new york or in the united states where I lived, responded to that. Something in that response opened up a crack in the myth of, you know, what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, I was in, I think, you know, obviously a lot of people were in deep shock. And I think a lot of people were sincerely trying to figure out why this had happened. Yes. And when, but when you listen to the radio, listen to the news, there were no, at least not, you know, in the mainstream you know, listening to David Letterman or, you know, just turning on NBC News or whatever it was, mm -hmm. there were no real answers. I could tell that the answers were not real. The, mm. the, the mm. theatrics of politics became, it became so obvious. I mean, it's always mm. obvious, more or less, that politics is a, a game or a theater. 
production. Um, but now it became so obvious mm. because a lot of people were asking sincere questions and all we were told were, well, these terrorists hate us for our freedoms. Mm. Um, mm. They're jealous uh, of what we have that they don't have. And uh, the best thing you can do really if you want to help the situation is go to a restaurant and go or go see a Broadway show. Oh my God. And yeah. that, I mean, I can understand that that's a part of what you say as a politician. You don't want the economy to totally stop. You also don't want, you know, people who work in the restaurants and the theaters to go out of business. So I understand that as part of what you say, but that was sort of, at least the way I heard it, that was the answer. That was it. It's like, let's get back to business as soon as possible. They hate us. Let's go to war. And, and there was this uh, fine gentleman, I don't know if you remember, uh, a guy named George W. Bush. I have some this vague was, recollections of him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like the worst thing that could have happened until it turned out it could get worse. We didn't know back in the 90s. We didn't know. Or back in the early <laughs> yeah. 2000s. Um, so we thought that was the, the law of the law, but, um, yeah, he was, it, you know, we're going to smoke them out of their holes and, you know, you're either with us or you with the terror. It was just the, the kind yeah. of rhetoric that it, there was no, there was no real information there and there was no, um, curious curiosity and no compassion, not to say that, yeah, we should be compassionate about these individuals who mm. just committed this mm. heinous act. I'm not saying that I'm just saying to understand what, yeah, what really what has, led us led all of us to this moment? Yeah, right? what really what was really happening here? Yeah, not and this what, kind of like two dimensional good and evil fairy yeah, tale. Yeah, and what has America's role been in the recent past in the world? Yeah. And what what could possibly have happened to make people so pissed off that they, you know, offer their lives to do this? Uh, those are some pretty serious, pretty real questions, and I couldn't find any answers. And that's wow. when I really began to question the reality as it was presented to me. And the old, wow. you know, get a job, pay your taxes, just go about your business kind of thing. It didn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was the big, yeah, mm. that was mm. one big, mm. big shifting point. And another big shifting point. Oh, you have, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, I want to, I want to ask you to co-sign on this, but I am struck by the story you shared earlier of like, the person who's really angry at biodynamic farming, mm. like there, and it's coming up with these stories, like kind of evil, you know, pagans in the woods stories. Mm. And I just, I like, there's a way in which admitting that it's theater is quite, is quite threatening, maybe even traumatic to many, many people or institutions that have, develop their identity around a way of being or around a story. Mm, yeah, right. And, and I just want to like, like, I just like just that dot connected of like, yeah, if you're someone who believes in a story and then someone else comes along and shows you that there might be a different way, mm. it's not as easy to be like, Oh, wow. Like that opening eyes moment can be really, really intense. And a reaction is to revert into something even more kind of black or white, even more kind of this or that. And uh, yeah, I just want to, I just want to name that as like part of the dynamics at play here as, as you mm. see the theater really start to become more starkly is yeah. this or that it's good or evil. You're a terrorist or you're with us kind of stuff. It's there's, well, it some seems like that's intensifying. Like that's yeah. what's going on in the world. The polarization yeah. is like 
getting worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so, sorry, you were about to say there was one other big, so that happened and I can't even like, just really like that moment of being on the roof, uh, having just been in a plane two days earlier, I just want to honor that that was probably quite shocking for you. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, Because we didn't know what it was. Now we can look back and kind of know what it was. Uh, Then I thought, because there were a lot of planes in the skyline above New York City. And, you know, I imagined that the next plane would be the UN building. The next one would be the Empire State Building. Like, I thought it was a full-scale war. I mean, we just Oof. didn't know. When yeah. it was one plane, it was like, oh, is this an accident? How? Because it was a really clear day. It was beautiful. How can you miss, like, something? Yeah. What, what could possibly have happened? But then when the second plane hit, it was obvious that it was, yeah, an act of war. <laughs> wow. Um, so it, it was intense, even though, obviously, a lot more intense for people who were part yeah. of it in a, in yeah. a more intimate way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if we fast forward, so that was the beginning of me really seeing some cracks in the mythological story of our of our day. Um, but then we have to fast forward almost 10 years from that to get to what really, like really turned me upside down and inside out for real. Mm. And it was actually a book. Mm. I saw on a colleague's desk, I was sharing an office with a colleague um, and I would come into his he had the nicer room (laughs) it was his space he had the nicer rooms i would come into his room for coffee he would invite you know let's have coffee and i would sit down and he always had interesting he was a really is a really really interesting guy and he always had some like cool books laying around and uh, i picked up one book that was laying on his coffee table and the title was the ascent of humanity and i was like oh some book about like the the ascent of uh, our civilization. How interesting, like historical facts about the Egyptians or I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you know this book, but that's I've not what it, it's I've about. Read it, I've read it just within the past year and a half. So I, yes, mm. and I can, so you know it well. I have a felt sense of how it could have really impacted you. Yeah. 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 So I picked it up. I read on the back and I looked at my colleague and I said, what is this? And he just laughed and he said, yeah, you, it's, uh, I can't say it's, it'll take too long to explain what it is. You, you, you're free to borrow it if you want to. And I took it home and uh, I, I read it. And so it's a book from an author named Charles Eisenstein, who yeah. has turned out to be a huge mentor for me. And basically he is the one through, because that book is his answer to the question, how did we get here? Mm. What, mm. Basically, what's wrong with society? How mm. did we get to the brink of ex- extinction? Why are we mm. here? And so that was the exact question that I had asked without having the words for it in my childhood. So that's the exact question that he's answering in that book. Um, And he is able to put words to it so eloquently, Mm. so beautifully. Mm. And it just hit me full force. Mm. Um, And then, and after that book, I read another book that really complemented the first one really well. Uh, It's called Ishmael. Have you read that one? I have. Yeah, actually I read that. It's been quite some time since I read, read that, but yeah. That, sh- that should be like mandatory school mm. book. Well, that's a different mm. conversation. But uh, so Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. These are yeah. two great book tips for anybody listening. The Ascent of Humanity, Charles Eisenstein. Write it down, folks. And Ishmael <laughs> <laughs> by Daniel Quinn. So those two books, that was a cocktail and with the, like the things that I was carrying, these two books just pried loose everything that I was carrying and um, 
yeah, from one day to the next, I, I told my partner, look, I, I want to move to the countryside. I want to see the stars at night. I want to be able to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, breathe fresher air than we do here. We were living mm-hmm. in Stockholm at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to know my neighbors. I want my kids to have a connection with food. I want to grow food. I want to learn, like I want to get a greenhouse. I want to learn about growing mm-hmm. tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was on the train. Like we, we were both unsure of you know the logistics of where we were going to uh you know live uh we liked our apartment and we liked the neighborhood and stuff but but we knew we weren't going to be there forever and this uh yeah we just both said let's do it (sighs) and uh we bought a piece of land and 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 moved and that was i don't know six years ago six seven years ago something like Mm, that mm. and then a few years later your campfire stories full time and Yeah, yeah here we are now yeah well, I really appreciate we sort of we sort of chronologically looped and swirled through this journey to to the present moment. Um, but Matthias, I I feel like we could keep talking for another hour. Uh, yep. I wish we could, um, <laughs> but I'm really really grateful that you landed at a place where your own journey into this question of what's wrong with the world. Mm has created a, a, a body of work that continues to grow and, and elevate some, some answers to the question. And what might we do about it? Mm. How might we begin to live in a way that is more in line with the planet and with nature and, and with our own wants and needs, if we really are honest with ourselves. Mm. So thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for mm. taking me out of the editing room for this <laughs> lovely conversation. <laughs> uh, hopefully you're not going to go right back into the editing room and start cursing at yourself after this. <laughs> but but, it, but if you do, thank you for doing the work. That, it, that it goes up and down, like with three day intervals where every third day, I think I'm a genius. And every third day, I think I'm the, the worst <laughs> ever. <laughs> that, sounds about, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So I'm somewhere in the middle now. I'm like, yeah, I'm not so bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing, doing the work that I'm want to be doing as best yeah. as I can do it. That's a pretty, that's a pretty noble, like humble and noble at the same time to really embrace that when so many of us are chasing something. And not that... relying and not relying on thinking with my brain what is the best thing to do, but rather accepting that there are other forms of intelligence in the body. Yeah. And the stomach, I find, is a really good one. Like you yes. can, if you get tuned into that, you can really feel. You know, this is what what they call the inner compass. Like this is not the right direction. This is mm. not the right friend to hang out with, or this. Uh, and on the other way, you you feel like yeah, this this just feels right, and. Yeah, I don't care if if it can come out as biodynamic farming or uh, transition network or fertility awareness, but like I don't come up with the concept first. It's like let me follow the instincts and see where they where they grab me and take me. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. And if people want to learn more, we'll include everything in the show notes. But if someone's listening right now, they want to check out more of your films or your podcast or anything else that you're doing. Where they, where should they go? Um, so campfire stories, uh, campfire hyphen stories plural stories uh dot org campfire hyphen stories.org yeah and you have and all, then, all of your films are there for viewing on your website and people can make a, a gift donation at whatever level they 
they feel called yeah. you to support your work, right? Exactly. I've, I've adopted the uh, gift economy uh, because the, the next book from Char- Charles Eisenstein after The Ascent of Humanity that I read was Sacred Economics. That's yeah. a beautiful book also. And so after that, it became obvious that, uh, yeah, I, I can't, how can I put a price tag on my work? It's, you know, whatever price tag I put, it's going to be infinitely too low. But yeah. it might be infinitely too high if you are out of work or a student or for whatever reason, you know, don't have the money. So it's way better to to say that this work is invaluable and you pick the price. And zero is also totally fine. Love it. Thanks, Matthias. So wonderful to be with you. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. I, I look forward to seeing your latest films. Good luck with the screening in a couple of weeks. And I hope, I hope we get to pop, cross, cross paths again in this virtual space or maybe even in three dimensions. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Andy. And yeah, I've really enjoyed this. And I I, I wish I could say that I'll come to Boston and surprise you, but <laughs> I'm not big on flying. So maybe yeah. it'll take a while with yeah. boats. We'll see. You can we'll sail, see. right? You're a good sailor. I'll sit um, take <laughs> let's, let's just say yes <laughs> and move on. <laughs> thanks. But thank thanks, you. Man. Yeah, this has yeah. been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, right on. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact on the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.